Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more. Plank the second to help you write better. And plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end I sometimes talk to other writers and ask their opinion on how we can do all of those things. How we can be better writers, how we can be happier writers and how we can be, I suppose, more productive and quicker writers. Also, sometimes I talk about my own work and I give suggestions based on my own experience. Sometimes I just talk about my mental health, which is fine and is a sign of good self-awareness and we should all be all right with. I'm not going to take the mickey out myself for talking about my mental health. It's good to talk about and this is an opt-in medium as well, so that's fine. Um, And finally, sometimes you, my wonderful and much valued listener send stuff in it's difficult there because i i tried to talk to you in the singular to make it feel not intimate in a uncomfortable way but personal but then i at the last minute decided to refer to my listener in the single singular when i was talking about people sending stuff in and that just sounded weird it just sounded because you know you will have probably sent to me somewhere between zero and one pieces. So just seemed odd. And were I revising this, I would say something different, but I'm not. And that is what the show's all about, isn't it? It's about editing without hating yourself. Today's show, i it's something that I mentioned I was going to do to people who listen and chat on uh, the show's Discord. Um, So there's a Discord for Death of a Thousand Cuts now, which is just a little app that started off as something that people used to chat while they were playing uh, games, but now is used for all sorts of reasons. And we just tend to use it uh, for text chat. And if you download Discord, um, there's an invite link at the bottom of today's show in the uh, show notes that you can go to and if you want to join us, you're very welcome. It's just about grown to the size now where I can't manage it on my own. And I'm uh, going to, uh, might be looking around for one or two volunteer mods just to keep an eye on it. I mean, everyone's, as far as I can tell, and in my experience of reading all the threads, is being really lovely. And there's lots and lots of sharing of critiques, which is delightful to see and the only reason I don't participate in them myself very much is I just don't I don't want to have a chilling effect on it by by turning up and saying what I think about those pieces and also because I might use some of them for the show but I I just wanted to give people a bit breathing room really Um, because you know the discord has grown out of this podcast I I I just suppose I, I I felt like it might be I might be getting in the way slightly to to comment on those threads but aside from that there's a book thread a publishing industry thread uh one where just can ask and receive writing questions it's it's sort of split into a couple of different forums uh i don't really need to explain it to you in depth because that this has existed on the internet for over 20 years right it's just it's just a different way of doing something that is fairly common. And, and and also Discord allows for voice chat, which, as I've sort of said before, I'm hoping to take advantage of at some point and maybe do one or two 
workshops like audio live workshops or chats or whatever over the voice channel on there it seems like it would be a fun thing to do and i would i'm up for doing it so presume uh, assuming we can find a time where at least a few other people would like to get involved it'd be free and just but you know just opt in for people who would like it but if you would like to go on there uh and you can lurk you can say hello to people everyone's so far has been really really friendly and nice you can offer some feedback on other people's work and you can even maybe after having offered feedback on some other people's maybe share a piece of your own work little 250 word extracts and i'm using that as a way of getting possible pieces for future shows people can opt in you don't have to opt in you can just share it with the people on there privately but if you'd like to you can post uh you know tim it's fine to use this and um in a future show and i uh, might use some of them in future episodes that's the plan anyway it's all very lovely over there and just to say the death of a thousand cuts discord uh at the time of recording uh there, there's a link in the show notes you can go on there i find apps and even discord which i've been using for years now incredibly overwhelming and baffling and that makes me feel old to say it but i don't think it's age so much as i don't use it very much and i I have not really poked around and kicked the tires because when i used to learn technology right i just used to sit at computers for hours and essentially break them and that's how i'd fit people go wow how you know adults would be like how wow how did you figure out how to use all these different computers well i spent one the technology was growing as i grew up so i i lived in this weird moment in time where from the sort of early 80s to mid 90s where computers home computers really just developed from not really existing at all to being able to program in basic to pcs to the internet to the birth of the internet in people's homes right so i i got this hall of fame sort of very gentle guided journey through the home computer at every iteration from the most simple one that could exist at home to what we have today so that was one thing that helped and two i just used to sit around for hours tinkering with them programming breaking them going into spending time after school going through the back end of windows trying to find programs that were on the server that we weren't supposed to use like i was a real nerd that's why I, it wasn't because i was young it wasn't because my brain was limber it's because i didn't find anything more productive to do and i'm not mocking myself as a young young nerd good for me for for, for having a hobby anyway today's show let's talk about what today's show is about i'm uh, talking to the poet writer playwright and podcaster ross sutherland he's also a very dear friend of mine that wasn't why i had him on i have lots of people on the show who uh, emotionally i'm indifferent to no that's not fair by the end of speaking to most people on the show i do actually feel uh very fondly towards them uh in a way that will probably make them feel again mildly uncomfortable uh but I just often really, really like the people I talk to. And uh, if I'm not already their friends, wish and hope that I could be their friends. Uh, I don't. I tend not to push that on them, but uh, I certainly have a fondness for the writers I have on the show. And I often feel 
feel of about them, you know, as their career goes forward. I don't feel that they're mine in any uh, acquisitive sense, but I do feel that they're that I have an inve- emotional investment in them doing well, and I always feel happy when they've got new books out, and I feel like oh, one of the writers that has been on my show has been, and I see their books in in the bookshop, and I go, I think oh. I've had this writer on my show and I've had this writer on my show and I, I know you a bit. It just it just feels nice, you know? Anyway, but Ross is someone who I knew beforehand. Although, again, actually, before I was friends with Ross, I knew him through his work and thought his work was really cool. Saw him performing poetry and wanted to be his friend. So I guess this is just my... And that is also true of my wife as well, who I first saw performing in her band on stage, really liked her work, thought she was cool and then wanted to hang out with. Um, Wow. Okay, having some revelations here. But what I wanted to talk about, Ross, is he does a great podcast, if you've not heard it, called Imaginary Advice, uh, which is lots of fiction and I guess stuff that doesn't fit into any one obvious genre like it feels like radio experiments and uh they're often quite like high concept but also very fun like he did an episode that we talk about in today's episode called wiki heist where he wrote an entire heist movie based on randomly like finding random personalities on wikipedia with the random article feature and then using those people as a heist team and it's a very funny couple of episodes and um yeah there's lots of lots of stuff like that i've talked to ross on the show before and you may have heard that episode where we talked a bit about the background to his work but he's just released for imaginary advice a guided writing journal which is like a piece of merch that he, you know, with very little fanfare, uh, soft launched, which contains a hundred intriguing, hugely entertaining on their own terms, actually, writing prompts with space, with lined space that you can then respond to that prompt. And the idea is that you work through them kind of in any order. We talk a bit about it on the show and how you might approach it, how you might even ignore some and cross them out or refuse to do them. But there's basically a hundred and they're not just, look, you can go online and you can find websites everywhere with like a hundred writing prompts for teachers and whatever. And they'll just say, write a story where a man has a red car. And they're often not very super inspiring you know they're they're not a lot of work's gone into them and i think the prompts in the imaginary advice journal are challenging without just flatly taking the piss out of you like they're they're doable but they make you squint your brain a little bit and they're fun and a little anarchic some are more straightforward than others some are very sort of almost like standard creative writing prompts not ones you'll have seen before but they feel recognizably something that might be delivered in a creative writing class and some are quite surreal and all of them are sort of quintessentially imaginary advice and 
uh, Ross. They it feels like a kind of work of poetry in itself. The hundred, I really super recommend it. You can listen to today's show where we discuss it and discuss a bit about Ross's philosophy on creative writing and this idea of how you keep things fresh and his thoughts, his theory of writing deliberately bad, deliberately rubbish writing and how freeing that can be. So we talk about that. I've put a link in today's show notes where you can order a copy of the Guided Writing Journal. Um, I, you know, obviously I'm not a credible advocate for it really because uh, Ross is a dear friend of mine, but I didn't set this show up just to do a favour for my friend. Ross didn't mention it to me at all that he was putting this out. I just saw it and thought, I know that people who listen to the show would love this. And people are sort of nudging me all the time about me doing another uh, writing course. And I think this is just a lovely, lovely... If you want to do this yourself or you know anyone in your life who's a writer this is just a really delightful bit of clip kit it's really lovely to flick through and just read some of the prompts um and the uh, lined pages are just aching for you to scribble something onto them and you know vandalize the book basically to start creating and I, i just feel like anyone who takes this on you can do it at your own speed at your own pace if you want to challenge yourself at writing, if you want to put yourself through a kind of writing gym and become more flexible, less afraid, have more fun, do everything that we talk about in the manifesto of what this show's about, I just really recognise, I really recommend, beg your pardon, this book. I just, I'll read you one prompt. I don't want to spoil any of them really for you, but prompt 62 is... <laughs> Imagine someone you hate. What would they write? I just think that's cool. I think it's really interesting. And the prompts have a cumulative effect as well. I think doing several, they just start easing you into a way of thinking that is um, particularly fruitful. So that's today's episode. There's a link to uh, getting the guided writing journal in the show notes. There's also a link to Ross's podcast, Imaginary Advice, which I wrote an episode for a while back. Um, That's it. If you like the show and you want to support it, you could buy my book, link to that in the show notes, and you could also uh, drop me a few beans via my coffee page. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. Links to all of that in the show notes. Uh, But mainly i just say like listen to this hope you get inspired and if you would like to um grab a copy of uh ross's uh guided writing journal because he's I, I think he's you know he's been one of the people that uh all of my ideas about how to teach creative writing stem from really and i did my first teaching kind of shadowing ross in schools and uh under a program that was set up not in a kind of nefarious way I was invited to be there um but yeah he's a great creative writing teacher and I think you have great fun anyway I'm gonna shut up now that's I've talked for enough thank you for putting up with me I hope you enjoy this chat with Ross Sutherland there's this odd moment 
in any bit of creative writing teaching where you roll out a an exercise that you've never done to people you've never done to a group before and that slight feeling of being an imposter and I just wondered if you could talk about like how um when you've when you roll out because all of your exercises at some stage you know I've had a first time like I wonder if you could talk about that transition of like coming up with an exercise which I guess is going to reveal a certain amount of thinking about like what an exercise does Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah uh, uh, like I would say of like the the hundred exercises um that are in this book um there's probably a very small amount that are ones that I've actually been able to road test and some of my favorite exercises to do are in there but because because of the way that I make my podcast and my podcast is is imaginary advice is is sort of what uh what really took the place of teaching creative writing in my sort of in my uh my 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 working week once upon a time i used to do a lot of creative writing uh workshops and then that diminished for many reasons um one of which was just that i think british school budgets getting smaller and smaller it felt like much more of an extravagance to uh to bring in uh, a poet for a day or even an hour and things happened at a kind of syllabus level because a lot of my teaching was almost all my teaching was working with students who had not chosen to be there it's still pretty rare for me (laughs) i did sometimes get to work with uh um people who were had already made some sort of commitment to wanting to uh, sort of work on writing craft. And that was something that they were already interested in as a hobby. And most of my, my students, that was not, that was not the case. It was mostly people who were, who seemed to be underperforming actually in English based on their, their kind of like age group. And I was sort of, uh, uh, I like brought in, I, you know, like, because even when you did teaching in prisons, right, those prisoners actually were volunteering to be at the class, whereas... Yes, the, even though they had to make sacrifices. Often, if you wanted to be part of the education uh, uh, block, you, you, you maybe had to sacrifice some gym time. But that, was, that almost meant a, more of a sacrifice, right? They had come in to do something. Uh, whereas, uh, um, yeah, the, like... And that, that, that does create an atmosphere when you're in a school group and literally you're sort of trying to to write stories uh against their will and uh um but yeah like i um uh english this english syllabus it removed um i don't know maybe this was about five years ago now uh it's english had the speaking and listening element uh removed uh which basically meant that yeah from then on uh, the idea very, of children being very able... marginal parts of yeah. of, it, of of English, right? Being Speaking able to and listening. Articulate yourself verbally just isn't actually an important <laughs> life skill, as it turns out. Uh, in terms of leaving school, you're not really required to do that. Um, so you know, like yeah, that that kind of stuff fell away, and I found my career sort of having to sort of pivot in different directions in order to sort of. It's always been a jigsaw puzzle of uh, different types of creative work, and my my podcast 
took that place. And my podcast is also, it's always kind of like me setting myself some weird creative writing exercise. Um, uh, except I'm kind of setting it for, a, you know, like, you know, for a, just, just, yeah, it's, it's just a, a class of one. Um, and so lots of the exercises that ended up in this book, they're also kind of things that either I've always wanted to sort of try on imaginary advice, uh, or, or, or some things that I kind of have tried in, in, in some way or other. But in answer to your question about like how, how scary it is when you're sort of trying something new for the first time. Absolutely. And I felt that a lot back in schools, but I think because I've done this sort of this this transfer into kind of like setting exercises for myself, that's kind of helped me overcome some of my nerves there, because I think what what, what gives me a lot more confidence um, with uh, setting bizarre exercises these days is that just over the years like i i've had this th th this record of confirmation that the the more bizarre an idea is and the more out there like the more just the more fun it is you know and and, and i think like that kind of helps when you're only punishing yourself tim it like is it really even punishment isn't that you know like you can it, it doesn't seem quite like you're sort of blindsiding people whereas you know when i used to go into a uh, uh a room full of uh like 9 year olds and basically say like today you know like we're going to i don't know uh we're going to like design like like a a, a roller coaster uh, um, actually, that, that that sounds quite a lot of fun. Actually, I don't think any kid would uh, would actually turn their nose up. <laughs> so, if I basically sorry, said, sorry, We're do a kids, maths is cancelled. <laughs> We're going to be designing a roller coaster. Uh, <laughs> boo! Yeah, that's that. You know, there were you know certainly there were plenty of sessions where you know like you would kind of go in and be like, hey kids, you know like who wants to do a Sestina? And, you know, like some things are harder selves than others. But this is another thing that I kind of got interested in doing this book in the first place, because when it comes to creative writing workshops, as they're sort of traditionally understood, it's always the same kinds of writing forms that, are, that tend to be discussed. And, and, and maybe I'm still talking about school and maybe I'm talking about kind of like adult classes, but you know, it, it we tend to be orbiting the same sort of things, which is the, the confessional poem, um, the, 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 the 20th century experimental poem, if you really want to push the boat out, go a bit, go a bit wild. And they, or, you know, maybe it's like a sort of like test chapter of a of a work in progress novel in you know like various sort of genre flavors but like there there tends to be like a like a like a relatively like small group of of forms that are uh, that 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 get worked in and one of the things that uh I was kind of interested in in uh you know like trying to trying to develop these um these exercises was was to kind of push the boat out a little bit 
and to look at other sort of forms of writing. So there's like, you know, like there's one in there where I, 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 I ask the reader to storyboard an insurance advert and things like that, where I'm not necessarily saying these things are going to be useful, <laughs> <laughs> but that's almost like precisely the point because I think very often there's like a maybe okay maybe there's one way I can I can describe it and I'll describe this kind of like quickly and then I, there's like there's three things I kind of felt were sort of associated with um with uh um traditionally with creative writing classes that as I was writing this book I found myself kind of wanting to sort of interrogate and uh, question and like the first of those is this idea that the goal of all writing is that that piece of writing will one day be published and read by millions and I think it's kind of useful to maybe say well no that doesn't have to be the case you can write stories for the sake of writing stories like not everything needs to be shared with the world like a story has an inherent value it doesn't necessarily gain value with with readers like writing can be its own reward because it's it actually is fundamentally good for us it doesn't necessarily need to everything to have a, a kind of media audience like another bit of baggage that i kind of wanted to question was um you know, some kinds of writing are more serious and respected than others. And, you know, I think that's why I came up with stuff like the storyboarding and insurance advert, because it's kind of fun to operate in a post-taste space where you're kind of like allowed to just like swim out a bit into like a sort of like a looking at the slightly broader ways that writing, because once you've, once you've already removed the audience, uh, it really opens you up to the kinds of styles of writing that you can kind of work on. Uh, because now you now it's purely about what's going to stimulate your imagination the most, what's going to lead you to the most interesting thoughts. And then maybe like the final thing that was kind of interesting to, to question slightly is this idea that uh, like you were supposed to be producing good writing. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, I think sometimes I've heard, I've heard people we know who are like who are like professional writers and have published books of poetry and performed on international stages uh reading poems still say in interviews oh i'm not a poet you know that's not for me to say that you know like you know and, and, I, and I was just like yeah you can say you're, you're a poet you know <laughs> you didn't say you're a good poet you just said you're a poet like it doesn't actually have to come with like an inherent value like it, it's just like the way you know that you are a poet is like have you written a poem recently you know like that that is the way that you kind of decide it doesn't have to be good and again i i think just like decoupling <laughs> writing from this idea of having to do stuff that's good I think can also just like hopefully just make things a bit more fun and I take a lot of pleasure in producing deliberately bad writing and so some of the exercises that I've kind of included quite a lot of them actually maybe seem a little bit like they're parodies of writing advice because you're like oh if I followed that I'd write something terrible and it's just like yeah you would but I reckon you'd have a lot of fun like along the way uh so yeah those are like the three things that i i kind i kind of uh feel and um uh and certainly anybody who tr has a crack at the book you know is is gonna you're like isn't gonna find all of them to their taste and i think that's sort of important 
that you know if there's anything you don't like in the book you just like cross out the prompt and just do whatever you want with that page you know and some i've sort of put are so weird that i'm kind of I'm kind of expecting people to like cr cross some out. That's that's you're taking responsibility for not necessarily um, always doing what I ask is is kind of another important part of the yeah the the, the, the process. But yeah, some some it's it, you know like it, not not every single one of them is gonna gonna land. And but yet still, if there's any that actively cause people harm <laughs> i like i would like the feedback and so i can kind of like tweak things a little bit because fundamentally it's meant you to be fun compared writing to vandalism at one point in the introduction and i wonder if you can you know i'm not trying to say that vandalism's fun i'm not getting don't want, want people i don't want people running out with their spray cans to tag park benches but um uh, to Listener, uh, Tim is doing wild <laughs> thumbs up at this moment and winking at me. I didn't even. I don't. I don't Russ, know what that means. It was looking at me then and seeing me somehow doing an ollie from a static position. Uh, <laughs> but that that idea of of vandalism and that you mention, and I'm getting the sense of like some of this being. I want to say like a form of, of a, well, at least kind of creative mischief. And I wondered if you could expand on that a little bit. That's a lovely word to describe, actually, Tim. I think creative mischief is, is really nice. And some of this just comes from, I don't know, by the time someone has moved into secondary school, in primary school, I'm sorry if I am talking about all people here anybody who wants to write but i think it is useful to talk about how we approach writing as kids as a as a way to understand that because um you know in, in primary school at least um in the uk uh you know like writing is this just like this it is treated like pe in primary school it is just like you do it because it's fun right and it's just like and it's very much like the rules are off it, it like poetry is something which is like almost entirely joyous and isn't particularly analyzed at all if a teacher reads you a poem it's because they think you're gonna like the poem you know like and you're just meant to be enjoying it and and if you write your own like, like that is just because you're inspired and you want to like put something down and the rules so change so like uh, so dramatically when you enter uh like secondary school again in the uk where like all of a sudden poems are these things that you're supposed to be uh analyzing and writing essays about and you know i think a lot of uh teachers also feel nervous around misrepresenting poetry it's not something that they feel comfortable presenting themselves as an expert on and that's not their fault that also comes down to the culture in which they've grown up and the experiences that they had when they were um, kids. But it it it's just like you get to 11 years old and then poetry just suddenly like it suddenly like transforms into this 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 very scary um sort of monolith and you know like and and suddenly things are kind of impenetrable and you know like you are being sort of teachers have to sort of agonizingly go through every sort of single line and every single um 
every single interpretation. And much like trying to like explain how a joke works, exactly the same thing happens when trying to analyse a, a poem. At least that's how it was for me. That's my personal experience of, of kind of that in, in, in school. And I try to keep that in mind when uh, when I kind of go back into these institutions. I kind of know, but maybe this is specifically because I was often tasked with um, sort of the sort of encouraging students to write poetry. That, that word just carried too much of a, a kind of stigma around it. It was poems were you know, like, that wasn't something that, you know, like, they, 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 were, they were so rarefied and, uh, and, uh, and celebrated, you know, that the, just the idea of writing something that could even be in kind of conversation with one of these things was just like speaking a, a completely different language and just trying to just like fudge your way through it. So yeah, I think the idea of going in and going like, we're going to pretend to be poets, and we're going to try and like, like trick the teacher into reading what we've written and thinking that it looks like a poem. So that's me sort of inserting myself between the, the pupils and the teachers in that scenario. Like, I think it'd be like very, very useful uh, in terms of a, a sort of fake it till you make it type thing that, you know, like if you can, this is one of the reasons, one of the first things I ever do. And I think we've spoken about this before. Tim so I, I, I won't I won't dwell on it but like I've got an exercise where um, uh, we're going to describe the moon and I get people to open a dictionary on a random page and then they've got to look at that double page and then like find a word in that spread that they're going to compare to the moon and then they repeat the process and take like a different word and so you end up with like uh, a line like uh, the moon is a um, is, is, is a haunted graveyard and those are just randomly chosen words. And like giving someone that like the tools to do something like that. And then they put that on a bit of paper and they show it to their teacher. And the teacher's like, Greg, this is incredible. And what 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 does this mean? You know, like and, and like you and, and suddenly like they're putting all the emphasis on the teacher to do the interpretation. And I know that that, that seems like cheating, but I guarantee the people in that process of writing it and owning it, they are still working out what it means, all right? And sometimes that's how it has to work. The accident comes first, the autopsy comes later. And if you can allow yourself just like the space to kind of like, do just fuck about with words and be mischievous, um, like you can allow the interpretive process to come just like slightly further down the road. And with a little bit of confidence like that, I think that can, I don't know, I think, I think that can help with kind of, producing your own writing uh this is a extraordinary leading question but it strikes me and i wonder to what extent you agree that some of your approaches to writing commissions and to writing prompts uh remind me of what people have been doing with the sort of uh prompts to to like dal e and the various ai sort of art bots where they will come up with something and get the AI to generate this incredibly weird picture. Uh, but they're still having to do the creativity of going, I want to see Homer Simpson drawn in the style of a Goya ink painting. Uh, 
uh, screaming at a gherkin or whatever, they still have to have come up with those prompts. And I, I wonder whether um, yeah. the early work that you did where, where you were using a, a translation machine as a collaborator, whether you know what you're talking about with teachers there whether whether you feel like you are, you're kind of using the human brain in a similar way like as a you you see the the audience in the end as a kind of as a collaborator rather than a judge is that fair or you know getting towards it yeah man i i like that as a as an interpretation i like i like this i i've always felt this you know strongly this idea that a, a a a piece of writing tries to escape its own subject matter you know like and and, and if, you, if you're going to work in a format like that you, you you know where you're beginning but you're going to go on like a journey with it right where it ends up is going to be somewhere like completely different and part of like the process i kind of think of working on a piece of writing is that idea of like trying to escape that subject matter trying to end up at like this data point very very far away from the, the data point where you started and that journey also, yeah, like it requires, that can happen within the space of a single poem. I, I, I mean, I could be talking about, you know, just like a poem that begins in one place and then through the power of association and just like letting your mind dream and make connections, it ends up somewhere else by the bottom. But it could also be, that journey could also be something that contains, that, that contains the entire creative process, i.e. that like the audience themselves gets to um gets to do some of the dreaming for you and i love you know like the the idea of you know what i kind of think is nice about the dali stuff is like trying people are trying to break them and like that is such a like a fundamental part of how we like interact with kind of creative technologies like the first thing we do is try to bust it you know like if you're given like a translation machine the first thing you try and do is put a swear word into it to see if it will kind of like do what you want or not right we're just fundamentally interested in testing the limits of any set of rules that we're given and that's also true when i've worked in kind of um experiential theater as well where you're kind of creating something that's designed to be interacted with and uh and you know like you've set the audience here are the rules and here's how you're supposed to do it and like you know to begin with people will that the first thing you'll do is push the rules you know like in uh the stanley parable that video game like like the, it's that, that that's that in a nutshell it's just like if the narration can you i, I don't know the stanley parable uh can can you give a little pricey of what well, it is? i can try uh um which is that it's a it's a game it's a very very small game kind of set in an office block uh it's a sort of first person game look looks like a first person shooter in that regard but you know it, it you're just looking and walking um and it has a narration and the narration explains what's happening in the story and the first thing it does is uh you come across a set of doors a left door and a right door and the narrator says stanley took the left door and yet you are free to take whichever door you want and the entire game that follows is sort of about exploring this aspect of choice. And the narrator kind of, kind of increasingly irritated, berating you for not making the choices that, that it believes you should be making. Um, but, and so there is an inherent joy in someone saying, he went <laughs> left and you walk right. Like that will always be funny. And, and, and like that almost like boils it down 
to like almost at its most like simplistic level. All right. And that comes ties back to the same mischief that I was talking about. You know, like breaking the rules is always an inherent part of the creative process. Was there ever an artist manifesto ever that didn't include somewhere in the manifesto a get out clause where the, the art group says, of course, we reserve the choice to do absolutely the opposite and uh, face no consequences, right? Like it's just, it's cooked in that, um, that we should be allowed to fuck around. And how do you do that in a pedagogical <laughs> setting? <laughs> how do how, like, how as a teacher are you supposed to go, okay, everybody write a poem. And then someone goes, well, I wrote, uh, I, I, I an autobiography of Michael Jackson, you know, like it's just, no, like it's hard in that sense to do that. But with a, a less facetious example, um, it, it kind of is still a little bit hard to break a creative writing class. Um, and that's why it's kind of sometimes good for the, for the kids that like to talk back to the teacher and have ridiculous suggestions. Uh, yeah, you can't necessarily break a poem just because you wanted to include something silly in it. Uh, so, yeah, lo lots of the philosophy of the book, I, I think we're sort of circling there. I think a lot of it is, like, inherently kind of uh, silly and mischievous, and you're, like, hopefully designed to help you feel like you're, you're kind of doing a parody of a creative writing session. Uh, opposed to a real one. But that doesn't mean you're not going to come up with something that you like. Why do you think that you've taught... So, a tension that I'm feeling is you're talking about doing deliberately bad writing and about breaking rules and having fun. And yet, you know, you've managed to do imaginary advice for years now before that you were doing live performance and you know you found an audience for it people i've seen you on stage and i've heard people talk about your podcast people clearly enjoy it. people you you haven't been just you know trolling people and waterboarding them with like deliberately unlistenable <laughs> bad performance all these years like it's not it's not just one long Andy Kaufman-esque bit like these are stories and performance pieces and poems uh, and plays that people get something out of. So at some point, I'm assuming the, the audience's experience has to come back in for you. Now, I know we're talking about prompts here and that's very different to like a finished piece, but I wonder if you could talk about like, is there a point where you can start from a very abs absurd or almost kind of deliberately dreadful starting point that ends up being something that can connect with an audience. And how do you start sort of shooting Spider-Man webs across uh, between the buildings to kind of get from one side to the other? Yeah, that's a, that's really interesting to him. And you're right. There is like, there is like this private lab, which is, I think, is some of the, the these kind of mischievous provocations, is, which is sort of separate from audiences and is and is uh, something which is more a place to sort of stimulate ideas. But yeah, for me personally, I I always find it easier to begin a project from a place that is facile and and, and devoid of personal <laughs> meaning which then through a sort of iterative process 
I, I, I do exactly what you, 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 you mentioned with the, the, the Spider-Man webs. I kind of, I build more layers of meaning onto it. And I think the reason is, is if I started off with something which was already extremely personal to me, first of all, that I'm depriving myself of the journey. Like I'm starting at the, the, the end point, but also I'm starting at the end point, which I don't know. Sometimes I've, uh, I've spoken about the difference between a creative process being the difference between burying something and kind of like excavating it. And when you bury something, it's because you've already started and you're like, here's the big thing. Here's the emotional thing. The emotional thing is I love my dad. <laughs> it's, I, 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 I love him. I, 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 I'm going to tell the world how much I love my dad. Uh, and, uh, and and because you've started with this extremely powerful emotion, I, I, I think personally, also because this is me and I'm someone who I, I'm not always necessarily good at leading with uh, emotion. I'm, I am good at someone with the emotion coming out accidentally while I'm engaged in doing something else. There's that bit in the uh, um, Douglas Adams' uh, uh, Life, Universe and Everything, where, I think it's in that one, where the way that you fly is by throwing yourself at the floor and uh, missing because you've distracted <laughs> yourself at a crucial last moment. And uh, I think writing is sometimes a bit like that. I think if, if you can distract yourself whilst doing it, then maybe you'll accidentally say something very honest and meaningful that, that you didn't even know was inside you. Um, but yeah, that idea of um, uh, uh, excavating, maybe that is how that would kind of come about if you started off. Wait, wait. let me first, yeah, let, me go, let me go back to me loving my dad. <laughs> right, so so that is the version where you're starting off with like the big important thing and then in trying to massage that into a piece of writing, I think inevitably what I would do is I would start overcomplicating it. So like it needs to have like cleverer ideas, you know, like I'm, I'm like, oh, what's a metaphor for that? What's a metaphor for the ways that I love my dad? And I'm sort of grafting these other things onto it. And slowly what I'm doing is I'm burying it under language. And, uh, and I've written poems like this where I actually started off with something very true and very simple that I wanted to say. And I've become so worried about it not being like lyrical enough that I've just like, just, just drowned it in what I think is kind of poetic language. And it just starts to feel like this process of decryption, almost as if I was embarrassed about how much I love my dad. I didn't actually want to go out there and tell the world about it. And so like, I've had to find ways of kind of like hiding it until it just becomes this complete word salad. And I can whisper to someone afterwards, after I come off the stage, oh, well, you know, if you actually want to know, that's, that's really about my dad and how much I love him. Whereas I, I kind of think that process of, it, of um, excavation is more like starting off with something like completely arbitrary, like I said, uh, something that's sort of devoid of meaning and just seems like, I, I, I mean, I, I just like something that's kind of like accessible and simple and like a, and it helps me build a sort of like an immediate connection with an audience because I'm sort of piggybacking on something that they're already familiar with, but perhaps don't have stronger feel, feelings about. And then just through visiting it over and over and over um like i start to find more personal connections to it because the truth is you can take any object and if you stare at it for long enough 
no matter how facile it is, eventually that object will become the central metaphor of your reality, like if you let it. Uh, and those things are going to come out. And so I, I feel like I'm still talking about things in a mischievous way here, but there is a, that is, it's, it is a journey towards meaning for me. And I think that's, that, that helps to start from somewhere just like actually very, very neutral and safe for me to begin. I guess if you're going to do vandalism, you want to do it in one of those sort of generic rage rooms where it's just all donated uh, stuff and not not like a place of great sentimentality and meaning. <laughs> like, like you don't want to go back to sort of your your old house that you lived in. Now it's being cleared out and go, right, I'm going to spray the walls. And do, you, that would be too much. But if you can do something in a kind of, like you say, in a neutral, or it seems to, to me, and again, I'm putting words in your mouth and just feel free to ignore this or go in a different direction or absolutely refute it but it seems to me that also you you talked about the pressure of things having to be products and being published and essentially becoming commercial works and it sometimes seems to me that you're kind of reclaiming parts of commercial culture or I don't mean this pejoratively actually but like low culture and and investing the sort of very broad with the personal and kind of and making them feel a bit more like home and inflecting them in in that way I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your your choices because I know you've done pieces on Pac-Man you've done stuff on EastEnders you've (laughs) done you did a really great um heist uh, or the wiki heist episodes on uh, uh, imaginary advice, where you're taking sort of familiar formats, and there really is, I think, sort of nothing that could be more sort of silly and bland than Wikipedia entries. Although, of course, we all we all enjoy reading them, right? But it's yeah. like it's it it, it, it see, what's so funny and interesting is like that you often take these ideas, and at the point where everyone would go, that's like a funny idea for a bad thing. You like really see it through a piece of performance. It becomes sort of a piece of performance art in its own way. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about um, taking these things that are either from sort of low culture. I again, yeah. I know that's a weird distinction, or mass culture, or just have a genericness to them yeah. and turn them into specific, personal, quote unquote, high conceptual art. Yeah, man. It's it's. I think what's kind of tricky is that like I. Yeah, even by the time I was studying poetry in school, I I hadn't read the classics, I hadn't read the Bible, and if you haven't read texts like that, it, you, you, it's like modernism, it can be quite hard to to understand. Like it's it would be completely different to like to read um uh like the, the Wasteland, for example. You know, like if I if I'd had a different education, if I was born. Uh, in a slightly different time. It doesn't mean those books are no longer available to me. Like it, it still exists. I, 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 I can have them all for free. But like that, just kind of always spoke to me about first of all about like just j- j- the canon has moved and changed, and it's kind of dissolved a little bit. At least I'm talking about the you know the the, the canon of literature, and it's. It, it, it's a cheat but it's an it, it's nice to to feel like you're 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 starting from a place where 
you can kind of meet an audience in a on a street they already know a little bit and you know like I, I kind of think you know and may, maybe this is also due to the fact that I I write a lot and regularly but also in a market where I'm aware I'm competing for attention I don't have much of a uh, a, a kind of brand identity which means that like I can guarantee people are always going to read my stuff so I always feel a little bit like I'm still flyering at the Edinburgh Fringe Tim uh, and I, I know <laughs> you know what that feels like right yeah. where you kind of just got your flyers and you know like you've got a stream of people wandering down the Royal Mile and you're trying to get them into your show and you've got like a couple of words that you can kind of say to them, right, to try and get them to stop and turn around, and it's always a mistake to lead with your, your, your with the the genre. I, I mean, no, actually, a well, genre can work. I mean, like, if for me to go like it's a poetry show, it's just like that doesn't tell them anything, right? You need they need details, they need story, they need like so tell us something that happened, something we can kind of grab onto, and I, I and, and so I think like maybe some of my early work, like my show that I did which had Pac-Man in the title, the, the three stigma are Pac-Man, uh, which is a weird conflation of two different uh, pieces of uh, culture. Um, like some of those things are, you know, I am, I'm, I'm very specifically thinking about, I'm not only thinking about let's start from a place that's facile. I'm also, yeah, I'm definitely thinking let's start from a place that's like recognizable. That's a place that let me put up like some sort of sign that people recognize because they don't know me. So they need something to, 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 to make them stop. And so, yeah, I, I think I, that, that, that's just ended up informing how I do things. And, uh, and yeah, like trying to find, well, where is the, where is the, the, the canon? Where are the things that lots of people know? I mean, when you and I, Tim, when we did like a, a theatre show, which was about video games, uh, like that's a kind of interesting one where you might be like, oh yeah, you know, like everybody in the room, like, like they know this game or that game, but like they, they still don't. There's not, you know, like it's, it is hard these days to put up a sign and for a room of a hundred random people to be like, yeah, I know what that means, right? And, and and so like seeking out where those things are, I kind of think is is sort of important. And yeah, that does mean sort of not. It, it, they are going to be mass culture. They will be low culture. They will be the things that just that are sort of unavoidable. And putting aside uh, the 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 difficulties of uh, 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 circumnavigating intellectual property law. Uh, yeah, it, it it's a you know like it finding ways of you know like referencing those 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 texts and kind of doing something new with them is you know like yeah it's 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 just an inherent part now i think of how i have to sort of think about writing i i often find it difficult to talk to people about on, on the one hand when i teach people i get to give them prompts and I get to kind of maximize the sense of joy and freedom and creativity because we really really aren't producing anything commercially or for a wider audience but are you able to take any of this I guess is what I'm saying are you able to take any of this into work where the parameters have been set by somebody else to a certain extent where you don't have quite that amount of freedom are there any sort of sparks from it that you're able to sort of magpie across to give yourself 
like a little bit, even if it feels that you're just checking your phone in work time level of mischief rather than full creative explosiveness. <laughs> are there ways that when, or, or that whenever any of us are doing a long project on something that we care about, like a novel, there's a point where it feels like it's a commission that was given by another person because mm-hmm. it was, because they decided that, you decided that a year ago and you've changed and your interests have changed. When you're in yeah. one of those situations, are there ways that you can take some of this stuff that you found to keep it sparky for you and to keep you feeling a little bit like you're skiving? Hmm. Well, I, I think something which, like, I, I think is useful. This is a slightly abstracted way of like talking about what I think the, the, the journal can give you. But I think we all know how hard it is to like plow through a first draft of anything and like one of the things particularly if it's a long project like i'm currently doing right now i think i'm working on like the longest uh project like in in terms of like the like the 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 length both in terms of word count and uh, time uh and like it is you know it's, it's it's a marathon not a sprint but i feel right now I am I'm trying to draw on the same kind of creative muscles that I can work on in my my short form stuff and that is all about just like st- stop obsessing over this this sentence which you've just been like rewriting like because you don't even know where this scene's going to go after afterwards yet you're like you like like just let go of being like like a, a, a skilled writer all right and just write <laughs> you know like and because I, I that is such a hard thing to do it is so hard to push through when your brain is just telling you this is shit this is shit why would anybody listen to this or read this you know it's just appalling all right like and that does require like yeah to be able to to, to practice anti-showmanship and to you know like and and that and sometimes that is it's 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 moving back into that post taste space and it's being like it's not for them it's for me and sometimes you do have to do that that doesn't mean that you're suddenly going like and and now I'm gonna make it rain boglins it it, it, it the, the piece is the piece but like I think letting yourself just like off the hook from your 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 inner critic is something that you can work at on little stuff on your own. And, and and I think can help you in longer ways. Also, yeah, I don't know. Like, there can also just be... I think in longer projects, I am someone who likes to plan. And when you plan, that can kind of remove some of the, uh, some of, like, the, the mischief as well. And I think it, it, it it's, it's something that when I do stuff for imaginary advice... I will start a story without always like having an, an an end for it. So I do think it is slightly different in longer projects, but that doesn't mean that you still can't have that imp of perversity that you can't basically look for, you know, like for little provocations that you can kind of give yourself. And, you know, something that I kind of like to do is the project that I'm currently working on is to almost one day a week while I'm writing I've got like 
you know, it, it's a full-time job, but I try to give myself a little bit of time on uh, uh, come the end of the week for just like slightly daft marginalia, you know, like, and maybe that is just me going like, what if there was another chapter in between these two and what, what would that kind of like look like? Or, you know, like what if there was like a scene from like a completely different character's perspective and, you know, I, I like, and I kind of can make a couple of notes on that. And, you know, most often that doesn't make it into the story. But the thing is, you, you've locked into this set of rules. You have, like, the rules of your universe. You may not know how much those, the rules of that universe might be prohibiting you and stopping your story developing because you've basically said to yourself, well, like, this is how I do it. And, you know, like, it's on rails here. And, yeah, so I, I, I kind of still think in, in, in bigger projects, you can put a little bit of time aside, yeah, for kind of, you know, like, just to explore around that rule that rule set uh, and because not all writing has to be published you know like if you if you remove that this idea of just like writing is all designed to be read by you know like either you know my publisher or the public beyond it then it becomes harder to fuck around and yeah it's kind of always nice to bring yourself back to a, a private space and, and otherwise otherwise it, it is just like <laughs> the the time i don't know I, I don't think you were around i can't remember if you were around for this ross but the period of time where a group of us had to t literally sit and write poems in a shop window in the book hive with the sign underneath saying this is what a poet looks like oh and i do remember <laughs> you were, i think i might have the book that came from uh yeah that, that, that it, was, it was it was it was it was it was i mean it was it, it was it was a brutal parody of what it's like to try and do poetry where you're continually trying to project that it was the people thought it'd be uncomfortable but it was actually i felt very i was like well this is taking the pressure off now now i can just do what i like because there the, this is the most l literal parody of my need for affirmation ever I wondered if you could talk about actually is just um, if there's been any sort of other because occasionally when I read some of the prompts, I was like, oh, that makes me think of a story by uh, the, that um, I imagine being the kind of story that such and such a writer would write or sure. th this I can really imagine being a short film by such and such a person. And I wonder if um, there are any uh, authors, poets or like m poems in particular or movies or stories or podcasts or whatever that you've heard or that you find yourself going to that I guess just end up being like re-keying you back into that kind of mood board, that tone, that state of mind where you go, ah, this is like, this is this is giving me that kind of fizz, that playfulness that makes me want to go back and write or whatever. Have you got any particular things that that, that 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 give you that or do you just watch stuff and get paralyzed by like going no this, i'll never do anything this good i mean i i i that's interesting i think uh i, I definitely think that most of the i always think the most interesting things happen at the border between two different art forms you know like so i'm always kind of interested in when something like began in one form and then it's been sort of translate into another whether that's like a direct adaptation of one thing into a to, to a different discipline or whether it's just like a lot more nebulous you know like and i would say like loads of the 
things that yeah I'm, I'm, i can't look for are things that start off in different disciplines and then i try to work out like you know what would this look like if it was turned into a piece of like like sound art or audio drama um i feel like i've come back a lot of times there's a uh there's a, a filmmaker experimental filmmaker called john smith who uh he, he i think possibly his most famous piece is called the girl i think it's called the girl chewing gum i think so and you can probably find it on um uh on on, on youtube but his entire catalog is just like so innovative and experimental he's very much aware of what is happening in the brain when he is showing us, you know, the way that he's kind of cutting together footage and the assumptions that we make about the footage that we see on screen and then how we can play with those assumptions. Uh, and uh, it's always fascinating to try and think about how things that are done in a, in a visual medium might transfer into something which is like a verbal medium or textual medium because it it fundamentally requires you to completely throw out the original idea and like reimagine it from the ground up. Um, uh, and that is all, always requires like a lot of that. That's quite crunchy in terms of like the, 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 the sort of the thinking for something like that might uh, provoke. So yeah, I do think that um, like I try to, to draw on a bunch of different stuff. We did a, a project Many, many years ago, Tim, which I, maybe I'll just mention because it's just a nice example of a sort of translation, which was um, kind of inspired by the film uh, The Aristocrats, which was a film about a joke. A jo the joke being a joke that was like uh, a, a long running joke that wasn't really funny. <laughs> uh, it was just a sort of like a holding pattern for lots of different writers to uh to sort of show off their their skills sorry comedians to come and show their skills uh, so lots and lots of comedians have their own version of this aristocrats joke and this documentary was kind of collecting together uh, a bunch of these different renditions and talking around it and that kind of thing I, i'm just like immediately drawn to because that was a very easy kind of question kind of provocation to come from that which is just like what is the poem equivalent of the aristocrats joke what is the poem that is very very well known uh but like is fundamentally bad that we could then give to a bunch of different writers to try out different things and uh we settled on uh the poem that tom cruise reads in the film cocktail uh and that then led to you know lots and lots of uh poets and writers uh, and artists that we know kind of like writing their uh, their own version of something like that but those are some of the the sort of creative provocations that i feel proudest of because that was just like a single question but then from out of that question like hundreds of different pieces of art kind of came out of it because essentially it was about creating a new poetic form the poetic form is like can you do a version of this poem that puts your own kind of like spin on it and that's just a lot a lot of work from one stupid question and uh you know like and and it's still it's, it, it, uh, it involves adaptation and it involves mischief because it's it's because it's a really really silly idea but uh yeah i i'd say for people I, i've deliberately sort of avoided 
uh, I, I, I kind of don't want to spoil too many of the prompts in 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 the book because reading through it, it feels like a a cross between one of those sort of tear off one a day page a day calendars, <laughs> yeah. and 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 genuinely like the sort of genre of sort of so, solo role playing games where you'll <laughs> kind of go through and fill in a fill in a diary and and respond to prompts each day kind of creating a story without fail every time i say i'm going to put a link in the show notes to uh, to a book from someone i point downwards despite that this is a non-visual medium i point downwards because i think i'm a youtuber i'm not um you can't see me pointing downwards but there we are i'm going to put a link in the show notes um where you can grab a copy of the um of the prompts book uh ross thanks very much for joining me today and um for everyone listening i hope you have a wonderful week of writing